This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Today, a case is being heard in an Adelaide court that could change how Australia treats whistleblowers. It's the case of Richard Boyle, who blew the whistle on what he saw as an egregious wrong, the aggressive pursuit of debts by the Australian tax office. If he loses this case, he will face trial, and if he's convicted, he'll face a lengthy stint in jail. But this is a case of national significance, and that's because the case will be the first major test of Australia's whistleblowing laws. It will have significant consequences for other whistleblowers and will test the public confidence in these laws. Today, the former tax officer who could be jailed for whistleblowing. It's Tuesday, the 4th of October. So tell me a little bit about Richard Boyle and where his story starts. So it starts in Adelaide in 2017. Christopher Norse is a reporter at Guardian Australia. At that time, Richard Boyle was working as a debt collection officer at the Australian Taxation Office. So towards the end of the 2017 financial year, staff at the Adelaide ATO branch, which was a key debt collection centre, were told to use a heavy-handed tactic to collect debts from taxpayers. This tactic is known as the issuing of a garnishee notice. It allows the tax office to order a bank to hand over money from the taxpayer's account without consulting the taxpayer. And that happens when the tax office believes that you owe them a debt. Mm. So you could just open your bank account one morning and a whole bunch of money is gone. Is that how that works? Yeah, for example, they they can seize the proceeds from the sale of your house. And one example that was reported by the City Morning Herald in 2014 was the case of 67-year-old Des Lyons, who spoke to a federal inquiry into tax disputes. So he was incorrectly assessed to owe the ATO $1 million. And after the ATO issued Garnashee notices to his bank, the institution withdrew all funding. So Mr. Lyons says that he nearly lost his marriage, he had to sell his business, uh, lost his investment property and his home. Mm. So this practice has been criticised for the impact that it has on the lives of families and small businesses all over the country. People say that, you know, the issuing of these garnishee notices can destroy their lives. And how does Richard Boyle come into all this? So Richard Boyle was one of the people who were instructed to hand out these garnishee notices. There was a decision in June to ratchet up debt collection activities within the ATO, and Boyle believed that this was motivated by a revenue grab before the end of the financial year. Mm. Boyle also came across examples where taxpayers had expressed suicidal thoughts while being chased for these debts. Boyle said he was blocked from helping one individual who said they were, quote, losing the will to live. And in another instance, he says that he was told by a senior employee that they were, quote, sick of taxpayers threatening suicide. Mm. It's because I was really concerned that taxpayers were going to be adversely affected by what I could only say is an unethical decision. Boyle has spoken to ABC's 7.30 program about the mindset that he had at the time. And I just wouldn't take that action that was going to actively destroy people's health, destroy people's families, and even drive people to suicide. 
So Boyle believes that the Australian Taxation Office took a callous approach to these people and all these serious flaws, he says, were all observed in the lead-up to his decision to speak out about the harm which was being caused by aggressively pursuing these debts from individuals and small businesses. Mm. So he began raising concerns internally about the legality of using this tactic. And how did the Australian Tax Office respond to Boyle reporting his concerns? Well, the ATO said it would investigate his allegations, but it then dismissed them in October 2017. So that left Boyle really dissatisfied with the conduct of the ATO investigation. Mm. So it's important to note here that one Senate inquiry, a fairly secretive Senate inquiry, which was conducted in 2020, also found that the ATO's internal investigation of Boyle's allegations was superficial and substandard. Mm. So Boyle's dissatisfaction with the investigation at the time led him to blow the whistle on the ATO, first to the taxation watchdog and then to the ABC's Four Corners program. A joint Four Corners Fairfax investigation has found that the tax office can appear to act as a law unto itself, and sometimes it gets its findings disturbingly wrong. Four Corners subsequently aired an episode in 2018, which relied partly on Boyle as a source. Tonight, we meet people who say their lives have been destroyed by the heavy-handed tactics of the ATO. Among them is a whistleblower who describes a toxic culture driven by revenue targets and KPIs that staff liken to a cash grab. Last week, in the lead-up to our program, his home was raided by the ATO and the Federal Police. So subsequent inquiries have since backed up what Boyle was alleging, or some of what he was alleging, about the use of Gunnashee notices, particularly in the Adelaide office. So they found that the ATO did, in fact, misuse its debt recovery powers. But for going public, Boyle is now facing a lengthy stint in jail. What has Boyle been charged with for coming forward with these allegations? So Boyle is facing 24 charges in the South Australian District Court, including the alleged use of a listening device to monitor private conversations, disclosing protected information and recording an individual's tax file number. So Chris, as part of your reporting on Boyle's case, The Guardian ended up actually intervening in the court proceedings. Why? So earlier this year, we attempted to obtain some key documents that Boyle had filed with the court in preliminary civil proceedings to decide whether he was entitled to immunity from criminal prosecution under the whistleblowing laws. But despite how important this case is, suppression orders were sought by Cornwall's prosecutors, which threatened to not only prevent media access to those documents, but also to stymie the media's ability to freely and accurately report on the proceedings. Mm. So prosecutors did this because they thought that public reporting on that case could compromise Boyle's chance at a fair criminal trial later down the track if he was unsuccessful in being granted immunity as a whistleblower. So in September, Guardian Australia decided to intervene to fight against those suppression orders and argued that the suppressions were too broad and they unnecessarily infringed on the principles of open justice. So the South Australian District Court Judge, Liesl Kadelka decided to lift the suppression and grant the media access to the documents outlining Boyle's case. She did so after Boyle himself indicated that he opposed the suppressions being made and did not believe that reporting on those documents would prejudice any criminal trial. And that ultimately paved the way for wider media reporting on the case. Mm. 
So now that we are able to report on the key details of this case, what do we need to know about it? So essentially, there will be a a hearing this week um, in which we expect that Boyer will begin his attempt to convince South Australian courts that he should be shielded from prosecution by virtue of the whistleblowing laws. If he fails in that hearing and any subsequent appeals that may flow from it, he will face a criminal trial. Okay, tell me a bit about these whistleblowing laws, Chris. What are they and how are they supposed to work? So for people who want to blow the whistle about uh, matters to do with government on a national level, they have to seek protection under what's known as the Public Interest Disclosure Act. So that act is supposed to facilitate the disclosure by public officials of serious wrongdoing in or affecting the public sector. So that might cover, for example, someone within the Department of Infrastructure who sees that grants are being handed out in a corrupt way. It doesn't cover everyone, but it it does cover a lot of the public service. Mm. The PIT Act, as it's known, was introduced in 2013 as a means of protecting federal public servants who blew the whistle on government wrongdoing. Boyle's main argument is that he followed the rules laid out for whistleblowers. That's a view that is shared by many observers and experts who who consider Boyle really to be a model whistleblower. What are these rules? So under Australia's whistleblowing laws, people like Boyle are allowed to approach the media and other third parties if they're dissatisfied with the conduct of an internal investigation, which appears to be what Boyle did. And it's only now after four years with the threat of criminal charges and imprisonment and emotional stress that he's been able to seek protections under the whistleblowing regime. Why is that, Chris? So this is considered a really key failing of the current whistleblower protections as they are at the moment, that they don't allow a whistleblower to get proactive protection, that you know they can only seek protection once they've already faced some sort of reprisal action for their decision to blow the whistle. Um, So what that means in Boyle's case is that, you know, he hasn't been able to seek protections until he has spent years before a court (laughs) facing prosecution, you know, and and suffering all this harm. So Boyle says that he suffered financial turmoil. He's um, had professional damage. You know, his career is is over as as a public servant and a tax official. The effects of being a whistleblower have taken a toll. He's been unemployed since and has been battling depression. And in an interview with ABC 730 in 2019, he says he's been incredibly stressed. My health spiralled into what I could only describe as a devastating situation. I feel like I almost died from the stress. Now, as I've mentioned, this is a big test of Australia's whistleblowing laws. It's the first time that anyone has attempted to use them to shield themselves from criminal prosecution. And there's a view that you know, if our whistleblowing laws fail to protect Boyle, who appears to have done everything right, it will protect few others. So, Chris, this case will be the first major test of Australia's whistleblowing laws. It's the first time that someone has claimed immunity from criminal prosecution as a whistleblower. How and why is Boyle the first? Well, part of the reason is that criminal prosecutions are pretty rare in the history of this Act. So... We know that later this year, David McBride, who's a former military lawyer, will attempt to use the same PIT Act protections to shield himself against prosecution. Here is a man who was a major uh, in the Australian Army. He uh, was a lawyer. He was in Afghanistan. He actually was awarded a Combat Services Medal. He was at the front line. He had his life on the line. McBride is um, the military lawyer who 
leaked a whole bunch of files to the ABC on the conduct of special forces in Afghanistan, which ultimately resulted in the ABC facing police raids in 2019. Mm. He now faces life imprisonment because that's that's what the penalty is. It's a limitless penalty under the Defence Act. But another issue is that this law doesn't cover all whistleblowers. So this has been highlighted by the case of lawyer Bernard Caleri and also Witness K, who was a veteran Australian Secret Intelligence Service officer. A secret hearing has begun in a spy case against Canberra lawyer Bernard Caleri. He's been charged with conspiring with former senior intelligence officer Witness K to reveal details of an Australian spying operation in East Timor. So Witness K and Bernard Caleri revealed a mission by Australia's intelligence agency to spy on Timor-Leste during negotiations over oil and gas reserves in the Timor Sea in 2004. Much like Boyle, the whistleblowers thought they were going through the appropriate steps to raise their concerns internally before, you know, frustration at inaction led them to going public. Those two weren't able to use protections under the Pitt Act at all. For more than eight years, both Cleary and Witness K felt the weight of Australia's justice system for unlawfully disclosing this information. I just sat there in court um, thinking, are we in Moscow? This was a most important uh, part of uh, a trial outside the gaze of the world. Chris, I know that you've covered the case of Kaleri and Witness K for many years, really, and it's probably Australia's most high-profile whistleblower case before now. Why were they not protected under these whistleblower laws? If you leak anything that has to do with intelligence and national security, you're given very little recourse under this regime um, for protection. Mm. And that's sort of compounded by the fact that you know, the definition of, of intelligence information um, under the Pitt Act is really broad. So AJ Brown, who's a, a professor with Griffith University and a board member of Transparency International Australia, he told me that this definition of intelligence information applies to any information that has ever been generated by or given by or basically come within a COVID-sniffing distance of an intelligence agency. Hmm. And he said, that's automatically intelligence information and therefore has to be treated differently and doesn't attract the same protections. Right, so you could leak a document that came before ASIO, which isn't particularly sensitive, but that is still considered intelligence information and you won't be protected as a whistleblower. Yeah, that's right. The, the law does take a really broad definition of, of intelligence information. And so experts like Brown, they, they want a greater consideration of the harm that's posed by a potential disclosure um, weighed against, you know, the benefit in, in making that disclosure. Are there any other serious flaws in our whistleblowing laws that experts have raised with you? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, one of the real concerns about the way these protections operate at the moment is that they just come way too late. So they come at a time when a whistleblower has already suffered reprisal action and, and damaged their lives. So the concern is that there's there's little proactive protection or practical advice available to whistleblowers in the early stages of their disclosures. So, you know, as they're thinking about whether or not to go public with something. And this inability to seek sort of legal resources and advice is considered a key weakness of the system. So that's compounded by the fact that when you go to court, um, when you're prosecuted for making a disclosure, the government spends a lot of money on these cases. So, for example, the former coalition government spent almost 
$6 million prosecuting Bernard Cleary, Witness K, Richard Boyle and David McBride over their alleged actions in exposing wrongdoing and misconduct. Mm. Figures provided at The Guardian earlier this year show that the cost of those prosecutions has almost doubled in two years, leaving taxpayers with really a huge and exorbitant legal bill well before the cases had even reached trial. Next, will Labor fix Australia's whistleblower protections? So why are our whistleblowing laws so unfit for purpose, according to, you know, experts you spoke to? Has anyone looked into these issues? So there was a review in 2016 into how the Act was operating and it found it was only having limited success and that very few individuals had actually blown the whistle and felt supported. So that report was delivered to the coalition with 33 recommendations to improve the Act. The government responded four years later at the end of 2020 saying that it did agree either in part or fully with 30 of the recommendations. Four years later is a long time, Chris. It's a long time and I guess it's maybe suggestive of the lack of interest uh, from the former government in this. And that statutory review did take place. An eminent Australian public servant, Philip Moss, reported to the former government in 2016 and there that report sat. And as the current Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus says, you know, the former government basically did nothing. Nothing has occurred to deal with the recommendations that Philip Moss made. Right. So now that the Labor government is in power, I know that there's been a bunch of calls for them to reform this act and to do more to protect whistleblowers. What have they committed to so far, Chris? So the details on how Labor plans to reform the act are pretty scant so far. So we'll have to wait for more information. I've said we are going to pick up that report update the recommendations and introduce legislation to reform the whole scheme of public interest disclosure protection. But the debate has been uh, re-energised because of the current discussion around the the Federal Integrity Commission. Mm. Uh, People want to know, you know, what protections will be in place for people who may want to make a disclosure to that that corruption watchdog. So the Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus, has said that the legislation that will govern the Federal Integrity Watchdog will protect people who who come forward to it. And separately, he's also said that he will reform uh, the PIT Act itself. And that will be done by the time the watchdog is launched, which is expected to be around mid-next year. Some of these comments from Attorney General Mark Dreyfus were disappointing to integrity experts, the Greens and those on the crossbench. They wanted something further known as a whistleblower commissioner. Can you just explain what that is, Chris? Yeah, so think of a whistleblower protection commissioner as basically an office that's there to support people who are thinking about making a disclosure. So it gives them sort of guidance on, you know, what they should do, where they should go, the steps that they need to take to satisfy the the PIT Act, for example. It's really there just to make sure that, you know, whistleblowers are supported and um, do everything right, but it's also there to make sure that the whistleblowing laws are actually working in practice. So Australia wouldn't be alone in setting up a body of this kind. It would mirror a similar office that's established in the Netherlands um, and it would follow attempts in 2020 and 2021 in the UK to establish an office of the whistleblower. Mm. So 
the experts that I've spoken to have told me that, that an office like this, a whistleblower protection commissioner, would go a long way in addressing the system's current failings. Labor, at this point, hasn't committed to such a reform. These reforms sound like they're a while off, Chris, and may not be helpful in Boyle's case. Is there an option for the government to just drop this case, considering how significant it is, considering the support that he has from integrity experts? Yeah, look, the government does certainly have those powers. Um, they are very rarely used, but in saying that, we ha- we did see Dreyfus intervene in the prosecution of Kaliri to end that prosecution. We have heard calls from groups like the Human Rights Law Centre for Dreyfus to intervene and end it. Former Senator Rex Patrick has also written to Dreyfus to to call for him to intervene, but Dreyfus has responded that that interventions of that kind were reserved for, quote, very unusual and exceptional circumstances. So I think, you know, it's fair to say that, that Dreyfus hasn't shown a great deal of willingness to intervene in this case, and you'd have to expect that if Boyle is unsuccessful in his whistleblower protection case, that, you know, it, it would go to trial. So in the same week that the government introduces the legislation for a federal integrity watchdog, they're continuing to pursue a case against a whistleblower who called out issues around integrity in the federal government sector. Is that a contradiction to you, Chris? Yeah, I think there's something jarring about it. It's the government out there publicly saying they want to um, uphold integrity in government, they want to root out corruption, um, you know, clean up politics. But at the same time, they're saying, look, you know, we don't think there's enough reason for us to intervene and end this prosecution of, of Richard Boyle, who, you know, clearly fits into that mould of, of the kind of person that they want speaking up to their federal anti-corruption commission. So the argument that Boyle is putting forward in court this week is pretty significant. What will it mean if the court decides that he's not protected by Australia's whistleblowing laws? Yeah, look, I mean, this is this is uh, the really critical point and why this case is considered to be a landmark by so many whistleblowing experts um, because Boyle, as I mentioned before, is is considered as sort of a, a model whistleblower. So if, if he can't be protected from prosecution by these laws, I think it's fair to say that, you know, calls for an overhaul of, of the Pitt Act and Australia's whistleblowing regime will become overwhelming. Is there also a fear that that decision will impact other whistleblowers in the short term, that they'll see that there is no protection or no real protection for them if they come forward and, you know, create a kind of chilling effect? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, if you're someone who's in government um, and you're thinking about making a disclosure about misconduct or corruption or, you know, uh, maladministration, you're watching the Boyle case and you're saying, oh, God, you know, that guy's had his life destroyed. It looks like he's done everything right and yet he still can't get any protection under, you know, the whistleblowing regime as it stands. What hope is there for me? And I think Mm. that would really turn a lot of people off um, coming forward. And this is something that Boyle himself has alluded to, you know, this fact that whistleblowers may not come forward in the future. What message do you think it sends to other potential whistleblowers about speaking out? I think the message is clear, don't do it. And if people don't 
come forward about misconduct in our most powerful institutions, in government and other areas of, of the public sector, it can really allow corruption, maladministration and, and malfeasance to, to flourish and it can allow it to do so in darkness. That was Christopher Norse, a reporter for Guardian Australia. You can read Chris's reporting on Australia's whistleblowing laws at theguardian.com and we've linked to his latest piece, Are Australia's Whistleblowing Laws Fit for Purpose? A former tax officer's hearing may tell us on the full story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Jordan Beasley and Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Matignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.